0: And welcome to a new uh special new episode of the Statcast with your hosts Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman and Bailey Freeman, also known as Foolish Baseball. Uh Bailey, why don't you say hi to everybody?
1: Hey everyone. We're we're three guys, we all have the same last name. I think it's gonna be a great podcast.
0: Yeah. We're gonna be talking today about the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot, which Bailey put out a recent video on, and uh, in preparation for this podcast, I devised an entirely new way of what seems to be some sort of Jaws and War combination, which I did not really mean to do, but sometimes you get to R and it just happens. So I think we'll talk about that too. All right. Um, we're also going to talk about the Tech is Rangers because Bailey wrote a, their entry in the Baseball Prospectus Handbook that's coming out, um, what is it going to be, in Mo-
1: February? March? End of the month. I think
2: January 30th.
0: Oh, perfect. All right. So we're going to get right into that. But
2: first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging.
0: Let's get into the podcast. So, Bailey, this year we've got what I would say is not the strongest Hall of Fame class that we've had in a while, besides the fact that, you know, um, the top uh, two of the top uh, players ever in baseball are on this ballot, which uh, the media and most of the general public seems relatively willing to ignore. It's not like a great year for new people on the ballot. Why don't we start talking about that?
1: Yeah. Well, with the new people on the ballot, you know, you would generally hope for, you know, every year you have one or two sort of slam dunk Hall of Famers. And as far as the new additions to the ballot, you really don't have any. And and it's becoming, you know, who can stay on the ballot that's new? And, and it's looking like, you know, Burley's got a chance of staying on. Hudson's got a chance of staying on. Tori Hunter has a chance of staying on. But none of those guys, you know, scream Hall of Famer uh, to the majority of voters.
0: Yeah. And so like, this year could be kind of interesting one because it's. it took me when I was looking. I got 10 people, I had 12 people that I was considering, but I ended up on 10. But at the same time, like I was stretching a little bit. And so this seems like maybe not the best year for the Hall of Fame. I mean, last year, like Jeter getting in, which was, um, you know, kind of expected, even though he is the worst defensive shorts up of all time. I think twice as bad as any other defensive shorts up because of the, that accumulation. Of inning after inning of bad defense but just in general what are you seeing from the hall of fame ballot this year
1: well i think you know it's it's tough because there's there's a lot of baggage with a lot of these candidates you know there's you know bonds and clemens and you know the steroid era guys you know there's obviously suspicions or even more than suspicions about them cheating in baseball but in addition to that there are you know Uh, some really unfortunate things going on in some of these players' personal lives as well, and that that can muddy the waters even more. So I think, you know, amidst all that, you know, probably the most interesting people to pay attention to are guys like Scott Rowland and Billy Wagner, who, you know, who have these really interesting sabermetric cases who don't really come with any of that baggage. And, um, you know, these are are players that, you know, I, I look at the top and I don't think, you know, Schilling, Clemens, or Bonds will get in. I look at the bottom and I don't, you know, I'm not hinging, you know, how interesting this ballot will be on, you know, Tim Hudson or Tory Hunter, but in that middle right there, that sort of middle class of vote getters right now who might have gotten between, you know, 20 and 40% last year, it's really interesting to see what kind of strides they can make this year. So that's really what I'm paying
2: attention to most. I think for me, uh, much like free agency this year, it's almost a precursor as. To what's going to happen next year? Next year we have mm-hmm. so many free free agent middle infielders. Um, also, next year we have Arod and Poppy, and the last year on the ballot for Clemens and Bonds, right. which is and Schilling, know, and Schilling. Um, yeah, if you look at the Hall of Fame tracker, um any Hall of Fame tracker, Schilling's not at seventy five percent. He's the most likely candidate to get in this year. Bonds and Clemens haven't really made any the leap forward that they need to, um. And Schilling's not even at seventy five percent yet, and that'll uh, go down after after we see the votes because as it happens, um, the anonymous the ballots that come in that aren't anonymous are more la- more likely to vote for Schilling for various reasons. So I don't see anybody getting into the hall this year, um, but. I think my most interesting candidate that I want to look at is Andrew Jones uh, because I loved what you said about Andrew Jones is if I told you that the best defensive center fielder hit 400 career home runs, would you put him in the hall of fame? And I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, and it's, you know, something that I agree with. Um, he was on the Braves for, I have it right here. He was on the Braves for 96 to 2007, 12 years. And then he had another six kind of accumulation years that kind of got him over that 400 home run mark. But he still was, you know, perennially a six, seven, even eight war guy for about 10 years. Um, finished his career with uh, 62.7 wins above replacement on baseball reference. Um, Why aren't more people voting for him?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's he it's almost like his career was spoiled by what happened after he turned 30. And I think people aren't maybe accounting for the fact that he started when he was 19. So, you know, you're talking about a player who was really good for a decade plus. That's good enough to get most people in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, this guy didn't really do anything, you know, positive once he turned 30. So, you know, if it's almost like if his peak was from ages 25 to 35, he would have a better chance.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about Jones is he, that also came off of a time when lots of hitters were hitting very well into their 30s. And we know a lot of reasons why that was happening. A lot of it was due to steroids, uh just people being able to like overcome a lot of stuff. Like Barry Bonds hitting lots of homers well into his mid to late 30s and Clemens pitching till I think he was 43 years old. And so Andrew Jones like coming up at 19 and just struggling with all those kinds of injuries it basically people thought that, oh, I thought people should be able to overcome injuries and, you know, actually hit during this time in their career. And yeah, that is a little tougher for a guy whose main priority is, is his defense. We talk a lot uh, about, like, people who, like, I don't know, maybe this great hitter who's going to age gracefully and, you know, he'll still know how to hit and he can play first base or he can play designated hitter. When you're Andrew Jones and probably the, He's the best defensive center fielder of all time. But at the same time, that's not something that ages gracefully. And with the injuries that he sustained, it's the kind of thing that cuts off his career. And so that is the kind of thing that leaves a bad taste in voters' mouth, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's just the injuries either. I think, you know, he he had a reputation as being just kind of a lazy player. Um, and it, He put on having... a lot of weight in his yeah. later years. And so I almost think, you know, if he... You know, suffered some catastrophic, you know, career-ending or career-altering injury when he was thirty, then he would be in the Hall of Fame by now. But you know, because you know he he failed to perform, you know, past that age. And after he left the Braves, I think it's that does leave uh, you know a, a sour taste in a lot of voters' mouths.
0: Yeah, it's not like it's not quite like the Grady Sizemore thing, which like how amazing could he have been if he hadn't suffered like one terrifying injury after another, just by virtue of diving for all those balls that he'd been running into the wall. And yeah, and so. But at the same time, isn't Jones like the classic case of a guy who's sabermetric, people love him, and he's probably, is he going to eventually get in? Because I said that there were 12 people I would probably vote for on this ballot. Bailey, I don't know how many, or Sam, I don't know how many people you think would vote in on this ballot, but how many people do you think are eventually are going to get in from this specific ballot?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be more than we think. I think the trends just seems to be... You know guys get in first or second ballot or they get in 10th ballot and you have all these candidates over the years that have rallied late and i think larry walker is kind of the perfect example of that so you know even if you know you're counting out you know uh roland or helton you know or let's say let's say you count out roland or helton you know a couple years ago i wouldn't i wouldn't you know disagree with that but you look at the gains they're making it almost seems like they're on track to make it so you know if you're looking at it i think you know, I do think bonds and Clemens will get in I think you know voters will will balk in the tenth year basically that's that's kind of when the ultimatum hits you know I think Schilling's gonna get in as well I think you know Jones will get in I think Roland will get in I think Wagner will get in uh and it's just you know kind of question of you know eventually you know but it, it may not even be through the voters for all these players they may be veterans committee picks later
0: so th- then I have a question I mean this is the question that a lot of us have been trying to answer and I think there's a pretty solid answer from one camp that it's very clear yes but Bonds and Clemens both two of the best players ever both clearly uh their careers were marred by steroids and they had off the field issues a very a very different kind of things I believe but nevertheless Bonds and Clemens both have had off the field issues and Clemens especially with the rumored like uh maybe he was in a relationship with an underage girl and with Bonds, uh, he was not exactly, um, he did not exactly get along with the media, which I think was partially contributed to the fact that he was just in baseball his entire life because he was basically with his dad and was also this guy who was kind of introverted, didn't really want to talk to the media, but was still like constantly in that spotlight and thought of as like this guy who's going to save the face of baseball. So, why do you think Bonds and Clemens should get in?
1: Yeah, I just think they're too good to not put in. I mean, you know, I'm not going to, you know, tell you about. You know how you know using steroids doesn't matter, or how you know some of these bad off the field incidents don't matter. I just think you're talking about you know the statistically the best modern pitcher and modern hitter in Major League history. I, that's really what it would be. You know, it's it's not. You know, I'm not standing you know on the rooftops you know screaming at everyone. Hey, we need to put these guys in the Hall of Fame. That's not where I'm at with it. But I'm just saying. You know, it's it's much harder to leave them out, I think, than put them in.
2: Yeah, I just for me, it's I'm more of a kind of sympathetic, I guess, with the steroid guys. Like, I personally think Manny Ramirez should get into the Hall of Fame without a, without a question. Um, You know, I honestly think Sammy Sosa and even Mark McGuire should get in um, to the Hall of Fame. Um, I have my reasons for that mainly because, you know, they were part of a fun, extremely fun period of baseball to watch. Um, and, you know, you hear a million times from the people like, well, I don't know if he, if he didn't take steroids. I just don't think that he would have been that good. And, you know, that's like the most baseless argument you could come up with, I feel like, um, because you really just can't say anything definitively. So I like to take their careers as it is. Obviously, Cano, I don't think there's any way that he will ever get into the Hall of Fame now. Um, especially, like, the first He's one I might have...
0: He's been suspended.
2: Yeah. It's, but when, if I say that, I feel like it's almost a kind of a knock against well then why should Manny get in? Because Manny also did it twice, if not thrice. I know he got suspended in for PEDs in 08, and then when he was with the Rays in his final year... Um, pretty sure he's still. Oh no, he's not. He's not. uh, Recently, he was still playing baseball because he was one of those guys that you know just loved to hit, just loved to hit no matter what. So you know he was with the Iowa Cubs as a hitting coach. Um, but yeah, what do you think the difference is between guys like Manny, who have been busted twice, and guys like, um, not not really Bonds, but guys like Ortiz who have we're at the top of the suspicious list and guys who may have been on the um mitchell report and have been you know successful late into their career
1: yeah i mean i personally i think there's a huge difference um you know and maybe the examples to use given the ballot are manny ramirez and gary sheffield you know sheffield was named on the mitchell report for ties to balco as well and I think it's just that Ramirez was caught in what was a completely different era in regards to, you know, PED testing. And we'd already kind of, you know, been through all the riffraff. There'd been all the fallout. All those sluggers had gone in front of Congress for reasons that are still unbeknownst to me to this day. Um, and and we were we we're ready to move on. And then for him to get caught not just once but twice, I think that is is a far greater stain than any of the suspicions that you can, you know, put on. You know Clemens or Bonds, who who cheated, but they cheated at a time when it was the wild wild west. You know, when it was it, you know the league was turning a blind eye to this stuff. The league was not turning a blind eye to it when Ramirez got caught, uh, and and not when A Rod got caught, and certainly not you know the two times Cano's been caught.
0: Yeah, and one thing with Bonds also is that you can sort of tell the same way that this year you could tell a Trevor Bauer started using pine tar when his spin rate jumped with every single pitch by like 200, 300 RPM. You Great could job tell- see that in. Yeah, you could tell. When, I got it. You could tell when uh, Barry Bonds started using PED. and in sort of a similar sense, to Ken Griffey Jr., who, for all intents and purposes, does not look like he ever used PEDs. His career, he also struggled with injuries, and he was on the wrong side of thirty instead of thirty also being fine for him. Bonds also struggled a lot. So not struggled a lot, I should say, but struggled a little bit, and then um, had a resurgence in like his. Uh, mid to late 30s and so Bonds is clearly a guy who like he's in the Hall of Fame regardless but then the the things that I get into are so Manny is clearly a Hall of Famer by the stats and Gary Sheffield is very much borderline like he could be in he could not be in it depends on who you ask Sammy Sosa I think is a little bit different because I think Sammy Sosa and Manny Ramirez is just statistically they're much more comparable and so Sosa is like the kind of guy who you got to question like how much these guys are beloved by fans and also how much uh, people um, like this quote unquote despise them for the like accusations of cheating and like that. Because with Sosa, he almost, Im- he was vilified relatively quickly. He seems to have gone, undergone some like strange personal stuff in his life. And man, he was obviously just like, um, I don't know. He was always doing something different, like Tara Lowen's kind of guy. So I think you said that you would have Sosa in the Hall of Fame, and you would, and like you said, you wouldn't have Manny in the Hall of Fame. Is just, just the fact that Sosa never got caught, and like, there's not like a hundred percent certainty that he did PDs. Is that why you would let him in?
1: Yeah, that that's exactly why. So Sosa, you know, was was named on what was this you know leaked uh, supposed to be you know anonymous involuntary test from two thousand two. We don't even know what you know substance he tested positive for you know david ortiz was named on that same test as well so it almost seems like cognitive dissonance if you would vote for uh you know ortiz but not sosa some people would point at the sosa corked bat incident which i just couldn't care less about
0: George Um, and (laughs) then some people
1: yeah some people in the really like sabermetric communities actually would make performance uh you know would, would cite performance reasons for not voting for Sosa because you know his war is not that high and you know his, his OPS plus was probably like 128 or something like that like not extremely elite but the man hit you know 600 home runs he hit 60 home runs four times and so even from a sabermetric guy like me like I can tell you that's that's plenty if if I'm not worried about the other stuff and yeah with Sosa too I think like you brought up like you know, whatever it is that's going on with his with his personal life that we don't really have to get into, with you know, with all the weird, you know, sort of you know whitewashing and the and the colorism that that exists and where he's from, he makes people uncomfortable. You know, people aren't ready to embrace Sammy Sosa right now. He's not, you know, doing stuff with like the Cubs organization. He doesn't go to Wrigley, and so I think that might be part of it as well.
0: Yeah, and that. We can touch more about the Hall of Fame, but that sort of brings the question. We keep talking about this kind of stuff with this era of like, there's just a larger question of what does MLB as a whole historically think about this era? Because the stars from this era are people like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and also Ken Griffey Jr., but that's the only guy that they really want to talk. They don't want to talk about Bonds or Clemens or Curt Schilling, who is called for the death of journalists and Sammy Sosa, who's had strange personal demons and Manny Ramirez and Omar Vizquel, who's a guy who's also on the ballot, played basically forever, and is viewed as one of the best shortstops of all time, but maybe did PDs. And like you said, I think in your uh, your video, he also maybe um, abused his wife. So how do you think MLB, like MLB just elected, but inducted Bed Selig into the Hall of Fame, who was the commissioner over all this, and for all intents and purposes, radically, like, just sort of ruled over with an iron fist? and. What do you think we're going to look at, like, think about this period, maybe like 20 years from now when it's r- removed from all this, maybe a couple guys are up for Veterans Committee votes or something like that. But no one, th- this isn't a topic of conversation because no one's on the Hall of Fame ballot anymore. These guys are getting a little older. Do we look at it the same way that people looked at like the 70s and 80s where, I don't know, people like Pete Rose were the only people who were really controversial in the end. And that was for something entirely different.
2: And also the cocaine and the stuff cocaine, in the 80s. Yeah. All
0: cocaine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well cocaine's not really going to make you a better baseball player. <laughs> um I would imagine. I don't know, but there are, but you know stimulants are, you know, in the conversation, you know, there's been greens, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I wonder if if it'll be viewed like that. Like maybe 20 years from now, you know, there'll be a whole new generation of voters and they just won't really care about um, you know, the steroid usage, but maybe they'll care more about the the social issues and they'll care more about, you know, players who have allegations in their personal lives and maybe, you know, Maybe uh, you know a one DV arrest would be you know enough to completely disqualify you, or maybe even a DUI would be enough to completely disqualify you. I wonder if that's kind of the future is is you know you know we don't we don't care about steroids, but maybe we care more about some of the other going on in in a player's personal life.
0: Yeah, like currently, like in baseball today, it seems like there's just an extreme amount of like very um like well cut people, but also I think we're gonna have that same kind of argument with the Rolles Chapman in like 10 to 15 years. There are a few people. Thankfully, baseball has gotten better at dealing with it, both internally and externally. But and so we're not going to have an argument if like I don't know Francisco Lindor or Clayton Kershaw, those seem like the kind of stand-up guys who are going to get in. But just with the sense of the fact that people who don't get in on the first couple ballots tend to stay on for a long time because they have enough supporters to stay on, but they don't have too many detractors to let them in these arguments tend to just sort of go on forever and so we've been arguing about bonds and clemens for 9 years now at the at the least i don't even know who was on like the ballot in 2011 2012 who got in that we were like oh yeah this guy's totally hall of fame or lock him in and right. we don't talk about them at all anymore
2: for me that guy's Barry larkin he got in um, i want to say 2012
0: something like that
2: some 20 on like some turn of the decade and you know that's just i guess a one-off for me but my real thing is kind of there's those guys that you talked about um where we're trying to find ways to keep them out of the hall of fame and i guess let me reword that it's not a discussion of if their baseball ability is enough to get them in the hall of fame it's you know were they a you know 100 percent great citizen And obviously, there are some that are like horrible citizens, and that is definitely enough for um, them to be, you know, hopefully never talked about again. But I think a very good percentage of the steroid guys are, you know, I would say good citizens. You know, some of them, like Canseco, are kind of, you know, weird in the head. Um, Sosa has his issues. Um, But... I just think that the Hall of and obviously Schilling, um, I just think it's very much a I think it's very much getting away from, you know, the baseball Hall of Fame and, you know, the non baseball but kind of baseball Hall of Fame. Do you think that it's maybe a do you think that when they're talking about whether this guy should get into the Hall of Fame, how much should that stuff take into account? Yeah, you know it, it's really hard to answer that question because yeah. you know I
1: you want to be you know if if these players have hurt people you want to be sympathetic to them, you know, absolutely. And and you have to kind of ask yourself, you know, what is the role of the Hall of Fame? You know, Kurt Schilling if he's inducted, you know, they're going to he's going to give a speech in front of a bunch of people, you know, they're going to give him a platform and he's going to be, you know, enshrined forever. At the same time, I would also say, "Hey, you know, Kurt Schilling, it's just a plaque." you know, in a room in what is probably the most boring room in the, in the museum. And that even if he wasn't, you know, inducted, he, you know, there's, I'm sure like the bloody sock is in the hall of fame. I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's marks left behind by Kurt Schilling on the game that are in that museum. If you were to go toward around. Um, but yeah, I, I do think um, for me, my, my issue is that, you know, we, this is, this character clause seems to only be invoked to drag people down, you know, it's, it's only, you know, we're only talking about, you know, how bad people are. We're not talking about how good some other people are. So I think I would care about it more if, if the character clause was invoked in a positive manner. And that could have been for Dale Murphy when he was, you know, on the ballot, it could have been, it could be invoked for Andrew McCutcheon or Curtis Granderson, you know, when they eventually hit the ballot. And, and, and for me personally, I think what I struggle the most with is, it's just this idea of being, Um, you know you know am i am i the arbiter of of you know morality you know kurt Schilling, i don't think has you know besides scamming the entire state of rhode island for his video game company i'm not sure if he's actually like broken a law you know it's like you know what what is my role to play as well because i i really feel uncomfortable sort of judging people like this even if they've done objectively terrible things i feel i feel bad judging them
0: yeah it's tough because this is like sort of there are a lot of people who with and on one side are very much against the kind of like uh, want players like Addison Russell to basically be barred from the game or like Roberto Osuna, people who are like, would rather just not watch any game that he pitches in at all because they care about, them. but at the same time are like, well, these steroid users and even Curt Schilling and even maybe Roberto Clemens or, uh, uh, ro- uh sorry, Roger Clemens and, uh, Omar Vizquel should still get into the hall of fame because at the very least like, they did enough to get there. I wonder, are we sort of going in the direction where if someone does something, we want to get an early jump on it instead of sort of ignoring it and then leaving it to fester, like sort of an open wound that Clemens and Bonds have been on the Hall of Fame boat for so long?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, a big part of that is is addressing, you know, these events when they happen. And that means, you know, dealing with, you know, in some cases, like Osuna in a way that, you know, that I think they could, Lee could have been a lot more heavy handed. And you're talking about a player who, you know, quite frankly, the difference between Addison Russell and Roberto Osuna is that uh, Roberto Osuna continued to play well. And Addison Russell kind of, you know, slipped off. And And if Aroldis Chapman, you know, stops pitching well, then he'll be gone too. So, you know, it. I, I think you have to kind of deal with these things when they happen instead of, like you said, leaving them, you know, Open like an open wound, and I think another thing too is like probably the voting for this needs to be shortened to five years. You know, we've gone from fifteen to ten. We probably need to leave these guys on the ballot for five max because it seems like everyone has their mind made up to some extent. Like even even though people the voters have hesitated for so long on you know uh, Shilling, Clemens, and Bonds, year ten is what matters. And if we're getting to the point where it seems like only year ten matters, then can we at least move that back like five years?
0: Make your five matter the most, and but also. I think something that would be great to go along with that would just be allowing vote, uh, members of the media to vote for more players. Because let's say you think that 15 members are deserving, then it's okay to vote for 15. And that hurts, especially like more guys fall off or to fall off the ballot when there are some guys who are like, oh, as a protest vote, I'm going to vote zero
2: people. Or I'm only going to
0: vote like one person.
2: Or I'm only going to vote Jeff Kent and nobody else.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean like Jeff Kent was all right, but I would say he's like a no. Even on this ballot, I'd probably put him at like 13th best, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think just if if there's one guy to vote for, it's Scott Rowland. If there's if you're only gonna vote for one player, vote for Scott Rowland because the performance is there and there's there's no off the field baggage.
0: Yeah, Scott Rowland is another one of those guys who was he's gets undervalued because you look go look at his counting stats and they're very good, but the number one thing was his defense. And you can't, like, it's very different. You can't really watch someone play defense as you scroll through baseball reference. And most of the stuff that a defender does is in moving before the ball is even hit or before, like, they even have to make that kind of diving play, which Omar Vizquel was very much known for. Vizquel could do, like, some fancy stuff, not gonna lie, but if we're talking about just shortstop defense, Vizquel... Doesn't necessarily rate near like one of the best of all time, like an Ozzy Smith who got into the Hall of Fame despite hitting 26 home runs total.
1: Right. Well, I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because. I think it's second base and third base defense. I think that's kind of, you know, where the Hall of Fame is having trouble is, you know, I think shortstop defense is understood and valued and maybe even center field defense as well, despite, you know, how Andrew Jones has done so far. Second base and third base defense has been just really underrated over the past few decades in terms of Hall of Fame voting. You know, Buddy Bell was one and done. It took Ron Santo like forever. He was like a veterans committee pick, you know. So, uh, you know, Lou Whitaker isn't in the Hall of Fame. That's insane. So it's like those positions in particular i think i think defense has become underrated uh, in terms of the electorate
2: what i think it'll be interesting is is the in a couple of years i think it's the chase utley argument
1: mm-hmm. yeah and we're gonna we'll do ask- the
2: same thing again and we did it with bobby yeah. gritch too you know they're yeah. like the same player Bo- bobby gritch and chase utley very very much war darlings yeah. very much guys that w- were very very good for 10 years and then they went out basically on top yeah. in a way
0: that's what that's what the baseball Hall of Fame loves to do. It loves to award a guy like Omar Vizquel. He's like, oh, he played twenty five years or something. I think it was something like that, and it just awards a guy who stick around. And I mean, like, look, I love Craig Biggio, but the guys maybe stayed for a couple more seasons just so he could get to that three thousand. But does he make the Hall of Fame if he doesn't have three thousand hits? I really don't know because like he wasn't playing in New York or Boston or LA or something. And then yeah, so th- then that also becomes an argument because like guys near the end of the career they're like, oh I wanna hit that big round number or and to make the Hall of Fame, like, not everyone gets to be Derek Jeter and like be the darling of the New York media for God knows how long. And so are we undervaluing players well I'm sure sure we undervalue players who didn't play in like um big uh, I don't know, big markets, but are we also undervaluing some guys who stuck around for too long? I have an opinion on this, but I want to know what you guys think.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe we're overvaluing the guys who stuck around too long and and we're undervaluing the guys who could have stuck around longer, you know? Like, um, you know, I talked about uh, just last week, Will Clark. Will Clark, you know, retired when he was like 36 or 37, and his final season was fantastic, and he could have kept going if he wanted to. He could have accrued, you know, more counting stats. He could have, you know, reached – you know, hit milestones and home run milestones. And that could have been the difference between him getting into the hall of fame. He just simply chose not to, you know, and, and, you know, you could almost say the same thing about Billy Wagner who went out uh, when he was still pitching incredibly well. Um, So, yeah, I do think like, you know, when you emphasize those counting stats too much, you know, you're almost rewarding players for sticking around and not playing their best.
0: And you also, I mean, It's also a little tough to look at a stat like OPS plus or WRC plus or something like that and do a good job of evaluating them because then that the longevity argument gets a little complicated because first of all, that stuff gets influenced by let's say they had a really bad last couple years like Albert Pujols is just like, of course, he's gonna make the Hall of Fame, but he's just killing his like, high, high OPS plus and war numbers. I think
2: It's almost not his fault. It's it's almost a fact of like, they have to play him because of the contract. So he's gonna sit out there and, you know, not really do much. No, it's true. There are like, you're right. There's a ton of players like that, who it's like they
1: play, you know, 20 plus years, and they might have a career. You know one fifteen o p s plus, but then you know their seven year peak they had like a one forty o p s plus, and you know you would prefer to think about them as the peak player rather than the sum of the career in that case.
2: I think to share is another good another good guy to look at there in terms of you know he was kind of the whole package at first base, yeah because he, he was considered one of the one of the if not the top defender at first base when he was playing, and he also on top of being traded at the deadline two years in a row was a classic 30 home run 100 rbi uh kind of not not quite 300 but more of a 270 280 guy and you know those guys don't age as gracefully uh because when their whole game is more most of their game is focused on power it seems that you know the power decreases and the contact level becomes almost unplayable to where it hurts their you know career totals so guys like to and pool holes i to a lesser degree pool because his first 11 i'll say 11 years were just so unbelievable yeah that he could have okay maybe he couldn't have gotten over 500 but <laughs> yeah he could have he's doing what he is now and he's i would say first ballot hall of famer yeah. oh yeah i mean about pools is probably the best first baseman of all time you
1: know if it's if it's not garrick it's him yeah. you know oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that's the thing with Pujols. like yeah he's ruining his war he's like His Jaws isn't going to change that much because Jaws knows what to look for. But yeah, he's kind of ruining this. And so that's why I don't think we've gone the full way on this because I don't think we've gone so far as to like actually valuing guys who didn't play long enough correctly. I still think we're undervaluing them. But like maybe in a little while we might be, you know, looking at the character clause. I know, Bailey, that you said you want to use it to like sort of raise players up. But isn't there a way that you could say the pe- people who stuck around for a while, maybe it wasn't because they wanted to quote, unquote, get in the Hall of Fame. Maybe it's because they loved the game and wanted to keep playing it as long as they could still get to the stadium and stand on two legs. And so and or they wanted to play out the rest of their contract, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that like Albert the is doing. And so I don't think I think we still overvalue guys who uh, play too long and accumulate all those stats and undervalue the guys who quit when they're on top of their game. But I think maybe there are a couple things that, as Saber, as we are all people who are very much into Saber metrics, into like trying to figure out the best way to value a player. But those are stuff that are important enough off the field that maybe should take in some consideration. You might disagree.
1: No, I, I don't disagree, actually. Um, like, so a lot of the Saber metric types hate on Viscal. You know, they don't even want to talk about the DV or whatever. They just think the performance isn't there at all. Um, but, you know, like you said, like this, you know, if pretend none of that existed, you know, this guy, you know, he's worth 40 war. He's like an 82 OPS plus guy, you know, probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame based on those numbers. But he played shortstop for 25 years. Like no one no one has played shortstop at an older age than he does. I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, if if a lot of that DV stuff didn't exist, yeah, I'd consider voting for him. Cause I, I think that's like a really unique case. You know, that you can't really measure him by some of those markers that we prefer to
2: look at, but I think you have to look at them nonetheless. I think it's very much um a result of the defensive metrics um being so mm, there's not really a great word for you unreliable. know Unreliable. not even not unreliable it's just misguided as to you know defensive runs saved is you know a stat that values some positions more than others uh defensive war is very much a you know we could go into this whole spiel about of how defensive metrics and all are not great. And I'll just leave it at that. They're not great at, you know, giving an accurate representation of, you know, how great of a defender they were. Um, and I know you, historically, yeah. And I know, Bailey, you made the video on Andrew Angleton Simmons and, you know, his hall of fame candidacy. And it's very much, you know, kind of the Vizquel thing. Um, You know, Simmons is, you know, hitting a bit better than Vizquel did, but, you know, I think Vizquel and Jeter are kind of almost opposites. I feel like Jeter was the guy that would always hit, um, you know, get one hundred and ninety hits a year, um, for I guess you know about twenty years. We're and,
0: calories, but we yeah. can let
2: go. And you know, I'm just talking as players. And Vizquel would, you know, cl- always hit, uh, you know, get one hundred and fifty hits and hit like league average. Uh, if not below and, but his defensive value, not, not the, what the defensive metrics say, but his defensive value was good enough that he could, you know, be on a major league roster for, you know, 24 years and still, and, you know, still be on the roster. So I think if, if Jeter gets in by that much, I honestly think that Vizquel should be in as well. You know, it's not a perfect, you know, comparison, but I think it's, the concept is there as to if we're throwing uh jeter's defense out the window basically um then why are why aren't we throwing viskel's offense out the window which is you know yeah practically that's not a great argument but it it, it holds a little bit of water does not no
1: no i'm following along with you like I'm, I'm with you like if that makes sense to me because especially if you think about it in terms of was Derek Jeter ever the best hitter in the league? No. You know, he was always, you know, above average, but he was never, you know, um, even among like the the top top hitters uh in the league in any given season. And it's kind of same thing with Viscal. You know, if the uh if the defensive equivalent of, you know, Barry Bonds is Ozzy Smith, you know, then uh then maybe, you know, we we have to respect guys who just kind of, you know, you know, Fiskell stuck around a long time and he accumulated defensive stats the same way Jeter stuck around a long time and accumulated offensive stats. And Jeter has like, what, the fourth or most hits in MLB or some, something like that, like all time. Like, it's pretty crazy.
0: The, well, the thing about Jeter is I almost admire the guy because I've looked at this before and his uh, defensive war, I think, is twice as bad as any other shortstop in the maybe even any other player, but I think any other shortstop, in the history of baseball, which means that he played so much that his defensive war was just, that his war itself was just dragged down by just how much he was not a good defensive player. But at the same time, like, the fact that he's even a league, like, like an average Hall of Famer just with the offense is almost impressive. Like, sure, he's not, like, the kind of guy who should be unanimous, Well, I'm almost like I'm kind of impressed by the fact that a guy who was such a a useless defender for so long at such an important position ended up making the Hall of Fame at all.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think he should have been unanimous just because I think a lot of guys should be unanimous. Um, But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing about Jeter is like if he, you know, had played his, you know, those first few years of his career at shortstop and then let's say he swapped to third base because his arm was great, but his range wasn't quite there. Maybe he his, went the
0: second his, when A Rod came. Who knows? Yeah,
1: yeah. His offensive rate stats are like the same as Adrian Beltre. So in Beltre is way more respected in those sabermetric circles.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because Beltre, to be fair, third base is an easier position to rack up some defensive award uh, uh, than shortstop is. Mm-hmm. And so I assume that second base. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you don't get as much of a boost, but maybe like maybe like the kind of plays that Derek Jeter made. I'm he would still be like a good guy at turning too he'd still be able to make plays. his yeah. range was just the entire issue for his career. And his arm is also like not phenomenal. And so, it, yeah, you're missing fewer balls at the very least, but yeah, that's the unfortunate thing with Jeter. He, he like his fame almost caught up with him that the Yankees couldn't take him off shortstop because he was too popular and he was too famous.
1: I mean, that's exactly what happened. Like he yeah. basically, when A-Rod came to town, he was like, I'm the shortstop, you know, I'm exactly. the captain and everyone has to RE to peck me, you know?
0: Yeah. And, I mean, that kind of was the reason, I think, that he was a nearly unanimous Hall of Famer. And it's the reason that he's only an average Hall of Famer by sabermetrics. So, in the end, who really won? Probably Jeter. So, I it worked for him. But, yeah, so, before we get into, like, I think we should, like, say who our picks are for this year. Do you mind if I go off on a bit of a tangent explaining just what this thing is that I created uh, in R today?
1: Yes, let's hear about it.
0: So I did some. It's very simple, basically. But I was trying to find a place that had, uh, just all war of all players ever. It took a little while, but I found that FanGraphs has like for all qualified players. Because I read this real interesting article in the community graphs. It was basically talking about well, for a long time, like there were baseball players who were basically you know pre integration or just when. There weren't very good players like pitching against guys like Babe Ruth. Like When Babe Ruth came into the league, it was almost unfair how much better he was than everybody else because no one could do it like him. Like Sort of like how Will Chamberlain has some unassailable records in basketball because no one could do the kind of stuff that he did. And so like war judges you against how well you did against your peers, which I mean is great and all, but when your peers kind of suck, then... It uh, it gets skewed a little bit, and that's why Babe Ruth has just some unconscionable stats. Meanwhile, Barry Bonds was has probably the best uh, the best seasons ever by a player ever during the one of the best uh, times of all time. Basically, like there were so many good hitters, so he like had to be compared to them. There were a lot of good pitchers. Maybe those a lot of those pitchers got shelled because there were so many good hitters, probably doing a lot of steroids. But so Barry Bonds' seasons are basically more impressive than Babe Ruth's, even though on Fangraphs, if you look it up, Barry Bonds has 150.8 war, and Babe Ruth has 150.6 war. You'd you'd think that, like, oh, these are basically the same. And so basically what I was trying to do is prove that they are very different, that Barry Bonds, what he did, is much more impressive than Babe Ruth. And what I did is I took every qualified season ever from all pitchers, all starters, and all relievers, and I just threw them into this thing where I calculated – like you know the mean the standard deviation and i standardize them basically and then uh like it's it's your regular way to find a z score if you don't know what a z score is like for listeners then it's relatively simple just imagine like um you judge every player based on i don't know how how they would how they would do sort of all time it's like this kind of so like in a season like not all time but in the specific season so like in a season like 1927, what matters? It also matters how good uh, the worst players in WAR, are, the worst regular players. So those take into account when you're talking about Babe Ruth. So that it basically like pushes Babe Ruth's numbers down a little bit. If you look at the numbers for like the 1920 through about 1940, really 1915 through 1950, but you see that the pit the hitters are just much better than the pitchers, and it's because I've, I think like a larger change in the sport that the hitters adjusted faster than the pitchers. But if you look at most times in baseball, then like hitter war versus pitcher war sort of follows a relatively similar trend line. And during this time, that is a little different. So basically what I did is I error adjusted. For and what I found is that, of course, so the war is a little lower for this. It judges players a lot more than um, war does nowadays. This, I think it's not quite tri- like league closer to league average, the same way that, I don't know, OPS plus will have 100 or WRC plus will have 100 because war, like even a league average player probably ends up with like two or three war. This gave a little more negatives. And so Barry Bond, but nevertheless, Barry Bonds ended up with 114 war and Babe Ruth ended up with 84. Hmm. They were still yeah. the one in the two, but it just shows how much better Bonds was than Ruth. And I basically found that if you want to like recreate the Hall of Fame, then players who had at least uh, 16 or 17 war or, or new war, I guess, for this one that I found our standardized war, they would still make the Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. And that's how I judge my candidates for this.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, I think it's kind of interesting too if you almost looked at like years following expansion. You know, if uh, in the 60s when they were adding a lot of new teams, you know, like if you were... And there were, you know, all of a sudden an influx of of players that, you know, previously wouldn't have been in the majors, you know, like the 62 Mets, you know, it's, it, yeah, I mean, expansion plays a big role in this as well in terms of just uh, what's the, what is a replacement level player, you know, which, which obviously the definition of that has changed so much over the last century.
0: Exactly. And so one thing like that stuck out to me and why I wanted to standardize is because I looked at 1969, which is when they made a bunch of rule changes that benefited hitters because pitchers were too good. The highest median for a hitter war in any season is 1969 because of just the, the massive jump compared to the previous year, because hitters just did so much better than they previously had. And so that just made it maybe it was because there was a lot of hitter talent that was going on then that sort of gets glossed over just because of how good the pitching was or the rules that were favoring the pitching. But nevertheless, it was some interesting stuff. And I want to tell you some findings before we get into this Hall of Fame stuff. So the fifth best uh, hitter all time, according to this, the first four make a lot of sense. It's Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ty Cobb. But the fifth all time, talk about third baseman who get underrated, Mike Schmidt.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. Mike Schmidt ends up with uh, the fifth highest of this. This, kind of like the stuff we've been talking about, It, uh, I think it... I don't know if it overrates defensive uh, metric, like defensive war, but I think it gives more credence to those who did better in that. And then for people who stayed on for too long, it basically was like, hey, you were a replacement level player for a long time, so you get demoted, basically. You do not get, like, um, you were not good, so you lose some stuff. And so that, like, Pete Rose ended up a lot lower than you might expect, even though his war doesn't quite line up with, like, where he stands in the baseball um and then how we rank players but interestingly enough number 10 all time already mike trout
2: yeah there you go yeah
0: and clemens was also the number one pitcher of all time according to this and i think walter johnson
2: is, Walter johnson is right behind him i'm looking at it now yeah yeah,
0: i think walter johnson is number one in the regular stuff in like a uh, regular fan fan war
2: also, I did this
0: on Fangraphs and not Baseball Reference. First of all, because I like Fangraphs better. Sorry, Baseball Reference. But also because Baseball Reference wanted me to subscribe and pay, which like is a good thing to do. But also, this was one in the morning, and I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to do this <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah. You know, there's some interesting stuff. I can share them, the stuff with you if you want to see. Yeah,
2: it. I'd love if you sh- just shoot me the link. You know. Yeah, there's some there's some things that I have a gripe with. I'm looking at the list right now. There's a, few, there's a couple things that I want to tell me before we you know move to our ballot and then a brief second about the rangers there's some things on here that don't make sense tell me andrew jones is a spot ahead of kangaroo jr yeah again that's that's a pretty big penalty for guys who
1: stuck around for you know a cumulative stretch of time where they're probably around replacement level
2: but andrew jones did the
1: same thing that's That's, true though yeah yeah but you know what he's only looking at qualified seasons though right exactly yeah yeah
0: I look at qualified seasons to make it easier, so you could see who like their actual replacement level players are, because I don't really care how much a guy who like who came up for the minor leagues for a week
2: did. But, okay, you know, I mean, I, I could also pick out, you know, f- number forty two is Andrew Jones, number forty six is Joe DiMaggio, number forty. Joe DiMaggio is overrated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. No, well, I, he didn't I, have that I many seasons to begin with. Yeah, he played actually. Yeah, yeah, he actually only played fifteen seasons. That's true. But um, I'm looking. More and more. I
0: have also like a comparison of of like people who did very like very well according to this, but also were not like their um their actual career war is very different than the So like one guy who was interesting was Dazzy Vance. You wouldn't expect like Dazzy yeah. Vance to be like, Oh, actually he's better than Kurt Schilling, for instance. Yeah, I think he was he is forty second in this. But at the same time, Dazzy Vance, like when did he pitch? He pitched during like the era of Ruth and Gary when pitchers just absolutely got shellacked because they weren't quite sure what to do with all this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Can you look at a, uh, like uh like a Wes Farrell or someone like that? Do you have that? Hold on.
0: Yeah, I got, I got it in mind. Wes Farrell. I don't see. Oh, he's not in this one.
2: Number 340. He's uh right under Bryce Harper.
0: He wouldn't make the hall of fame in this.
2: Yeah. Cause he's at a uh, little under 13 war in this. He's a trickier because I
1: guess he's almost kind of a two way player. Cause his, he was a, probably the best hitting pitcher of all time or at least for when he was playing yeah. if you don't I, count you know Bruce. i
0: added those both up but at the same time like it doesn't take into account the sheer difficulty of doing that
1: yeah like i mean he babe, wasn't i don't think he was ever qualified batter in a year is my point got,
0: yeah and for babe ruth it, i only got two extra war for him uh from his pitching and 84 of it or i think he ended up with 86 actually because 84 yeah. of it was hitting war, and then i think around two or so was pitching
2: i'm looking at david ortiz next to matt carpenter <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, David Ortiz stuck around for a while. He did not exactly play a position, which is uh, very mu- well regarded by statistics, you know, playing DH. And- I'm looking
2: at Ernie Banks next to Moises Alou and Len Barker.
0: It's not crazy. I'm looking at Albert Poole's next to Joe Morgan.
2: That seems about right. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say Joe Morgan was... Yeah, yeah but I think... MVP. MVP.
0: Yeah, Joe Morgan was terrific. I just kind of think it's kind of interesting. I did like... Huh. Have-
2: there's a, fun, a funny one. David Wells and Jose Reyes are right next to each other.
0: I had a near heart
2: attack <laughs> at one point when I was just like trying
0: to figure out how many people would have made the Hall of Fame and how many wouldn't, and it said Cal Ripken Jr. wasn't a Hall of Famer, but then Ooh. I realized that I had taken something from a different database, and it said Cal Ripken Jr. instead of Cal Ripken in it. So yeah, but this interesting stuff here.
1: Kurt Schilling could be like a, another really surprisingly high-rated player compared to like our perception or Hall of Fame voting or whatever.
0: Well. Interestingly enough, I watched your video about Bobby Wallace, and Bobby Wallace ends up with uh, 21.1 war, so he would make okay. the
2: So he's yeah. So he's in by your standards as well. Yeah, exactly. Burt Blylevin is at number 29. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Blylevin was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... um, I'm looking... What about through. Dave Steed? Dave Steed, I actually just passed his name. I'm pretty sure he was right next to Ortiz. Yeah. Or very close to him. Yeah, yeah Dave Steed is number make it. three. The Man... Talk about a guy who's loved in random stat circles, lost a note hitter um, so many times.
0: Steve does not make it. But yeah, uh, I, I found like the results that I got from this kind of interest. And then I, did, I didn't add relievers until later, but I did find some interesting stuff. Like you have Pedro Martinez, just like a few war above Mariano Rivera. And the way that like relief works is a little complicated because for relievers, like the amount of qualified innings just made a little strange. But and so I... I like had to skew it a little bit so that it would fit, sort of correspond to what their actual war was, but yeah, the people that like who are in the Hall of Fame for the most part as relievers, according to this, seem to make
2: sense. But yeah, just in- who do you think is right next to Jim Palmer? Anybody? I've got no idea. Someone? Jeff Cirillo. <laughs> Right there, four seventy-five
1: and four seventy-six. Every, everyone knows Jim Palmer was just a product of Earl Weaver and infield defense. Everyone
2: knows that, <laughs> and, and somehow magically never giving up a grand slam.
0: But I should mention this is this might be a little interesting to you, but um, number fifty Chase Utley, number fifty-two Adrian Beltray.
1: That's that is very interesting. And number fifty-five Scott Rowland. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I'd it, be interested it, in sort of the relievers if there were any. Who met the mark? Who aren't in the Hall of Fame? If they, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at a Henke or a, or a Joe Nathan, maybe. You know, I can
0: pull it up right now. So, or Mariano, even like a
1: Dick Radatz or someone like that.
0: Yeah. So Mariano Rivera number one, Trevor Hoffman number two, Gossage number three, Billy Wagner number four. Props. Raleigh Fingers number five. Then a Chapman, Joe Nathan. Yeah. Rob Nen. Joe Rob Nathan. Nen. I'm telling you, Joe Nathan's got some good stats. I love Joe Nathan back in yeah. the It was a real shame that he sort of like fell off the wagon. But they are interesting with that because most of them don't stick around for all that long. Once they're bad, you know they're kind of cooked. So they might benefit a little bit from this.
1: Yeah. Hall of Fame voters, I'm not saying you should vote for Joe Nathan, but I'm saying when the time comes when he hits the ballot, give it a
2: good think. Give it a nice long think. Yeah. And Jonathan Brian Brian Giles is well is a is in a good spot. Brian Giles is in a good spot. I love to see it.
0: Yeah. Um and Jonathan Papelbon and Craig Kimbrell are both above Dennis Eckersley.
2: <laughs> you know what that means i don't know <laughs> oh, oh no i i'd like to invoke i like to invoke the character clause with Papelbon. <laughs> <laughs> kenley poor
0: kenley jansen is actually in between papal bon and kimbrill but can you imagine kenley jansen as a hall of famer
1: honestly not even not sort of. not yeah. right now given where he seems to be trending but yeah. a couple years ago maybe you know
0: yeah it, it, and then like you know homer Wrong spot, Homer. Wrong spot, Mm -hmm. Homer. Wrong spot. I mean,
1: the thing about Kenley, like, I feel like Kenley, Kimbrell, and Chapman have about the same career stats, and so it's interesting that this rates Chapman a fair bit higher. It seems
0: I wouldn't say a fair bit higher,
1: Um, at least a couple slots higher. You know,
0: yeah, it's a couple slots higher. But the difference between them, uh, difference between him and Papabon, is less than one war, and the difference between him and Kimbrell is like one and a half. It's not that crazy. And and according to actual war, uh, Chapman is like 0.2 above Papelbon and 1.4 above Kimbrel. Mm-hmm. So it, it does fit there about what we expect. I think this is probably, the reliever war is sort of as good as we're going to get as far as that goes, because we haven't had relievers for that long. Like if there were relievers back in like the times of the 20s, then we might see like serious things. But with how recent it is and how similar pitching has been over that time, even though it's not like necessarily exactly the same, uh, I think it makes sense that relievers uh, sort of line up at where we'd expect. Lee Smith is the only guy, or not Lee Smith, sorry. Eckersley is the only, and Bruce Sutter and Hoyt Wilhelm. They also, um, this one likes them a lot less than actual war. Thinks of them.
1: Yeah, when you go back into the, when those guys pitch, you get more innings and then more volume, more war. Exactly,
0: yeah. And that's why this one, I think, doesn't favor them quite as much. All right, but I think, let's get into who our Hall of Fame picks are.
2: Um... We, we, I think we know what Bailey, what Bailey's are. He's got, um,
0: not everyone has watched, uh, that's uh, a good point. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
2: But yeah. So
1: I'm going off the top of my head here. So if you can pull up the video just to make sure I've got it right. Um, I got, uh, bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, Bobby Abreu, um, Mark Burley, Todd Helton, Sammy Sosa. That's my 10. I
0: mean, it, that's nine of the same 10 that i have so i'm not that surprised uh because i think there's a very specific like there are very specific people who are going to get into it this year um the the one thing that i have is i loved watching mark burley as a pitcher i thought he was great but i don't think he's a hall of famer and i don't think the stats back him up on that but at the same time, like Burley was definitely like a big part of like the mid to late two thousands, early twenty tens kind of stuff, and so I don't know. What's your case for Mark Burley?
1: Yeah, I you know it's 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 strategic voting to some extent. Like I'm not ready to say he's all of famer either, but I do think he's a guy who should be allowed to, you know, stay on the ballot and kind of you know work through this over the few years. You know, he's just he was just a joy. You know, he was everyone loved watching Mark Burley pitch. He seems like a really nice guy you know, he, um, um, who, who's breaking it down? Like Brian Kenny was talking about how, you know, um, if you have like, you know, 12, five war seasons or something like that, like that would get you into the hall of fame. Well, Burley's the case of like 15, four war seasons. Yeah. So, so, you know, or at least averaged out. So that it's kind of interesting. Like he is, he is a, uh, you know, kind of a, just a consistency play. And I think that is a, a really cool aspect of his career, but yeah, you know, it's not like he ever, want to Cy Young or came particularly close
0: yeah and with Burley I mean my thing rates him very differently than I think War does because War has him at his over 50 career war but mine has him like at like seven and a half
1: yeah it's I'm not surprised by that <laughs> so
0: then, I guess my question I don't have him in the hall either because he would be like on my list of guys that I would vote for if I could vote everyone I wanted to in but what makes you choose Mark Burley over Andy Pettit uh
1: probably the steroids you know um I mean I mean Pettit admitted to using HGH. Um but yeah, I mean I think statistically Pettit would have the advantage, especially if you consider what Pettit did in the playoffs. I mean Burley was a really good playoff pitcher too, but but Pettit un- unbelievable playoff pitcher.
2: What do you think, Sam? Uh yeah, I i also agree with the the Pettit argument. Um I feel I'm I'm softer on him, but I also think that Pettit and Mussina are um, I to me, they're very much the same pitcher. I don't know why, because I don't really I I think Musina's if I'm not mistaken, Mussina is a little bit better. Mussina probably has like 20 more war than Pettit, depending on what yeah. you look at.
0: According to yeah. Miami, he's nearly twice as good as Pettit. And if yeah. like a regular war, it's something like that too. Because is at like 76 career war and Pettit's only at
2: 58. Yeah, I, it just, those things, it's like, I... For the Yankees, yeah. No, it's not Not even that. Because uh, Pettit wasn't even, you know, he was on the Astros, remember? He was on the oh, Astros. I remember that. I remember that year, yeah, 2005. Um, up against Burley i remember yeah yeah, i guess (laughs) that 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 would line up yes um yeah pettit and Musina, i think there's the line is right between pettit and Mm Musina as as far as performance goes i think performance gets Musina into the hall of fame pettit i think performance alone uh even when you factor in postseason doesn't get him in so yeah um for me the ballot is um shilling clemens bonds Vizquel, roland wagner manny andrew jones and sosa is that 10 uh i believe it's 10 yes there there's i i would have voted for did i Did I say sheffield no yeah so i i if there were more than 10 i would have voted for sheffield uh i would have voted for a brave i would have voted for helton but yeah the, the 10 people doesn't really make sense to me as to why it's even a rule yeah because I don't know what it's trying to protect against. Yeah, I think the only thing is just regulating the ballot in terms of who
1: stays on, because you have, you know, the the 5% threshold. Um, yeah, I guess you would have
2: to go through a whole list of names over and over again if you, if you could vote for as many people as you Yeah, that's the only practical reason I can think of.
0: But at the same time, like, there's a clear, like, distinction between people. Who are Like, oh, this guy's a Hall of Famer. That may not a clear distinction for everybody, but, like, there's a kind of people who you would add if you could vote for more. Versus, like, oh, I just want like half the people on this ballot to be in the Hall of Fame because usually, you kind of know that a lot of those people aren't gonna don't really deserve a spot. But some people, like, I think Lance Berkman, not exactly the he's a good guy, maybe in the dugout, but off the field, not exactly. But at the very least, he hit well enough to I think be in the Hall of Fame, and he dropped off the ballot. Yeah, and so yeah, my question for you, Sam, is so you have Vizquel in Bailey and I do not. Vizquel, by my uh calculation actually has a negative war which i mean sort of lines up with the fact that he didn't hit that well and his war wasn't like incredible and he kind of stayed on too long and does not like people who stay on for too long but so we've talked about Vizquel, not quite ad nauseum but do you want to make the case for him a quick case
2: i mean i already kind of did i mean like i even if the argument is kind of you know misguided i would much rather um since I'm kind of have a vendetta against Jeter being, you know, as as much of a Hall of Famer as he was and that the voters say he was. Um, I think if we're going to give him that much of a bump um, for being a one dimensional player, I think then we should do the same for Vizquel, Um, Because I just see them as having the same uh, career path um, just with offense and defense switched.
0: Yeah. All right, so mine. So I've got like I've got them separated into a little bit of tiers because you got to tier this. I think so. Bonds and Clemens are both top ten players of all time, regardless of how you spin it. Even with steroids, I think they're top ten players of all time. So they have to be slammed on call. Of. Then you've got your guys like Andrew Jones, Kurt Schilling, and Scott Rowland, and I would say those land more in like maybe around like the fiftieth ish spot of guys like on the all time list. Yeah, there are people who are better than them. They weren't. They were never the best. Um, Maybe there were some years that they were near the top, but they weren't like always amazing. But they were consistently very good, and that I think lands them in the hall of. Uh, and then you've got I put these people together because they actually end up their careers end up very similarly, but also um, they get talked about a lot. Maybe not in tandem. But I've got uh, Sammy Sosa and Manny Ramirez both getting in for ve- like for sort of similar, maybe different reasons like the PD stuff like we talked about, the off-the-field stuff like we've talked about. Nevertheless, if we're looking at pure production, those guys I think both deserve to be in. And versus someone like Robbie Cano, who I do not think has the kind of production to be in the Hall of Fame. And the question with Robbie Cano is going to be like, should he stay on the ballot versus should he be in the Hall of Fame? Cano like, is close for sure, but Manny's is just a lot better. And I know... That like, you know, yeah, he clearly cheated and he did it more than once, but it was, and it was at a time when people were testing more. So he knew exactly what he was doing, but I really enjoyed Manny Ramirez as a player. And he's the kind of guy that you knew was a hall of famer every time you watched him on the baseball field. And for like the couple people, like the several people who are probably never going to make the hall of fame, maybe like Shulis Joe Jackson or Pete Rose, or maybe even Bonds and Clemens, although I think they do eventually make it in. With Manny, I think you do put him in and you say, yeah, this is the guy who, like, sort of like David Ortiz, maybe not exactly like David Ortiz. Um, I think he still deserves a spot just because of how terrific of a player he really was. And then so, so like we've talked about, I also think that regardless of like all the rumors against him, he didn't have those kinds of the man he has, even though everyone sort of talks about him like he did. And so I'd put him in. And then Helton and Bobby Abreu are the kind of guys who are just, you know, they're like your average Joe Hall of Famers. It's like the kind of guys who, I thought it was interesting that you were talking about, Bailey, about like Bobby Wallace in your video, which I really enjoyed. It's guys who, yeah, that's who kind of the bottom of the Hall of Fame is popular with. A bunch of guys who were good enough. They were better than other people. They're some of like the maybe top 200, even top 100, top 150 players of all time. So they should be in the Hall of Fame, even if they're not like Randy Johnson or uh, Ted Williams or something like that. And then Finally, I've got Billy Wagner because Billy Wagner is one of the top five relievers of all time. If we're putting relievers in, then Billy Wagner absolutely must be. And so I leave out Sheffield and Pettit. They're he, Those two and Kent, but especially those two are the guys who I would have put in uh, if I could put like 12 or 13 people in. But with Kent, he didn't quite have the stats. With Pettit and Sheffield, I didn't want to put him in because I didn't think that their stats were good enough for, to override all the PED stuff. And so I left him out.
2: Why don't we, since we have gone a little bit over time, why don't we briefly touch on how the 2021 Rangers are going to struggle to win 60 games?
0: Yeah. <laughs> in, in my opinion, I don't know what you're going to say about this, Bailey, but in my opinion, they've taken over the most irrelevant team in baseball title from the from the San Francisco Giants.
1: Yeah, no, irrelevant is actually a pretty good way of putting it. Um, Yeah, So, so the reason we're going to be talking about this is because I'm writing... The or I actually have written the Texas Rangers team essay for the upcoming baseball prospectus annual. So, um, unlike I think almost every baseball fan, I've actually spent a fair bit of time thinking <laughs> about the Texas Rangers this off season and trying to uh, assess their position. Um, but yeah, so obviously we we'll have to read you know the essay for my full takeaway. But you know this is um, I think this is a team. It's really a question of if they're actually like. Um, embracing a rebuild what you know if you look back at this past decade you know the 2010s they they started the 2010s you know on a on a hot streak you know they were one of the best teams in the american league and not only that but they had a generation of prospects coming up that was hopefully going to you know continue the success so even though you know uh beltray was going to get older or ian kensler was going to get older you know th- those guys were going to be replaced by you know, Jerkson Profar or Nomar Mazzara or Joey Gallo and all, you know, this great next generation of of Texas Rangers superstars or Lewis Brinson or someone like that. Um, and that didn't really come into fruition overall for them. And that, and that's what kind of led to the struggles is that they, they've, they've had good prospects and good minor league performance, but they haven't been able to convert that into great major leaguers. So, you know, where they stand right now, one, one cool thing about the Rangers is that they had, you know, um, Four players, you know, who are age twenty-one or under, get get um, you know decent playing time uh, last year, at least as as position players, which actually led the league. So they have you know like guys like you know Apostle. They have guys like you know Sam Huff. They have guys like Louis Tavares, who's probably going to take over the center field spot. Um, you know, uh, Falefa is going to push out Elvis Andrews at shortstop. It seems Nick Solak, you know, going to be challenging O'Dor for a spot. So this is a time of, of turnover for them, and and given that. They don't seem like the most competitive team. It is at least worth paying attention to some of these youngsters because the, the team has to sell their fan base on something, you know, and and the fact that they've opened this brand new ballpark that that they haven't even be able to have Rangers fans in yet is just a kind of a tragedy. And and you know, the probably the worst thing I could say about the Rangers right now is that the all time uh, home run leader at their new ballpark is Corey Seeger.
0: <laughs> That's our, that was our favorite. Yeah. Match. Yeah. He said that team.
2: in the World Series. Uh, um, we recap is, you know, Corey Seeger is the, you know, player by with the most home ball runs, runs in that ballpark.
0: Multiple home runs, which is the best part.
2: Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, you also, they also got Dane Dunning, which is another kind of, uh, from the White Sox, which is another, um, I think it's the only really bright spot pitching wise, because, you know, they I'm haven't developed at anybody at all. Yeah, <laughs> in no, the last you know, I think, you know, also David Clyde is kind of a, a capsule of their you know, pitching development. Um, And, you know, you think about, you try to think about, you know, Texas Rangers pitchers of those great, you know, 2010 and 2011 teams. And you think, wow, Matt Harrison, CJ Wilson, Colby Lewis, you know, not household names, Mm -hmm. guys that... Good, good, but guys that are on the the top of the list of guys that you look at, you know, wins leaders and say, how did this guy win 16 games with a four and a half ERA? Um, Yeah, they were carried by offense. Their pitching got worse. Then their offense got worse. Then their offense became the worst in the league last year, I think. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And... It was very bad. Yeah. And they also have Rugnet Odor, who is once again... The only player to hit as many home runs i think it was i did he hit 40 in a season or was it i think 30? it's 30 i think it's 30 with his like ops plus or something like that well no because my the stat that i found is that he's the only player with i'm going to look at just because i need to get this right he's the only player um in mlb history with 30 home runs in a season and a slugging percentage less than 400 that's, that's a good one as well yeah that, yeah yeah it it's one that i found so it's you know him and joey Gallo i think Odor is kind of a less aggressive joey gallo but his power is starting to go away um so it's yeah. yeah well he's not even aging he's only 20 he's yeah he's younger than gallo
0: it's true he's been in the league for god knows how long
2: o-
1: Odor's days of regular playing time are, are definitely numbered um you know i think with with Solak and and Kyner falefa just gonna he's gonna run out of spots soon. I like Even Al's though he's exactly. still under contract I for forgot. them, I like, and Huff. And Huff. I like Kyner,
0: uh, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa and uh, Sam you Huff. too? I think Sam Huff was like is going to be pretty good this
1: year. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like Huff, he doesn't have much experience above like high A. I don't think he has any experience above high A besides the, the majors. Um, so he may he he and Apostle may be guys that take some more time in the minors, despite the fact that they did break through. Um, but yeah, I mean like Leo de you know, for example, he's going to, that center field spot seems to be his. So, I mean, there, are, there are things to, you know, be interested in. Um, and, and, and with regards to the Lance Lynn trade for Dan Dunning, I think that's a great pick for them as well. Um, and I was a little disappointed that the, I was not disappointed that the White Sox traded for Lance Lynn because I think, you know, they needed to, uh, they need to add more good players to, to build on, uh, what they accomplished in, uh, in 2020 and and pitching, you know, you can't go wrong by adding Lance Lynn. But I think, you know, if you're talking about players who could have helped the White Sox win in 2021, that I would also include Dane Dunning in that. So, you know, I wish at the very least that the White Sox would have traded, you know, a non-major league ready prospect if they could.
0: And also, I don't even know how much sense makes for the Rangers because Dane Dunning, like he made the majors last year was his debut. I almost feel like they need guys who are in like double AA, a triple a and yeah we don't even know if the minors are going to happen next season so maybe they were like well he wouldn't get any playing time otherwise so like why would we get guys who we can't even like start playing and they obviously didn't play last year
2: but at this thing? A- time yeah Dunning's 26 which is pretty old
0: exactly yeah dunning is like he's a college guy and uh so he like reached the majors a, i don't know a little late but it took him a little while to get there but he doesn't line up with the Rangers window, whatever the Rangers window might be, because it's not now and it looks a lot more like 2025 than 2022.
1: Yeah, I know I'm with you on that, but I actually really do like the Dunning acquisition because just at the very least, they'll have, um, you know, a, a younger pitcher with, uh, you know, a lot of team control that is good, which they just haven't had for the last three or four years, or even just going back into the the early 2010s. So they need that. They need, you know, They need good young pitching, and and Dunning, I get that he's 26, but in terms of his major league experience, he is young, and that matters.
0: And like you said about his control, like the guys who come up when they're 25 or 26, like for instance Aaron Judge or George Springer, like those guys, you're going to have team control for a long time of them,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: they're not really going to get a big free agent contract. They're going to probably play all their prime years on your team.
1: Yeah, they might sign a team-friendly extension because they realize they're going to hit free agency, you know, when they're 33 or something like that. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so, I mean, still part of the fact that last, I think it was last year, both our ar- two arbitration players, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Aaron Judge, signed ARB deals. Um, one of Jackie Bradley Jr. was paid more than Aaron Judge last year. Yeah. Just ar- ar- arbitration is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And I just don't like it.
0: I mean, arbitration needs an absolute overhaul. The fact that arbitration basically is what amounts to free agency now, and those players should actually get play- paid like they would as free agents, but. That's just one of my personal um, crusades, and we don't have to get into that now. But about back to the Rangers. Um, one thing, yeah, the thing about the Rangers, is that yeah, like you said, they made the World Series two years in a row. And like the Giants, you think that the Rangers and the Giants are sort of going to dominate the decade with like the pitching that the Giants had, plus a lot of young hitters. And with the Rangers, like yeah, their pitching was a little old, but also they had so much hitting. It seemed mm-hmm. like they were going to contend for a long time, and they were going to like Jerks and Profar. He was sort of like, what, the 55, uh, like five-tool kind of player? Where, like, he's above average at everything. Yeah,
1: the I mean, them- he was a number one prospect in baseball. Like, you have to think the same way we've thought about Vlad and Tatis and Akuna yeah. in the past, and now Wander Franco. Like, that was what Jerks and Profar was.
0: At, the t- at the, To be fair, at the time, I wasn't, like, looking at this guy and thinking, oh, yeah, this is clearly the best guy in all of the minor leagues. Yeah. But at the same time... Uh, you expected him to be pretty good, even though maybe you didn't have a Tatis Jr. who's going to, might be the face of baseball for the next 10 years. Like you, like uh, during the, the time that Jerks and Profar was like the number one guy in all the farms. Teams. Yeah. I it's know. True.
1: He was, he was different. He was like the number one prospect, the way that almost like dance B. Swanson was drafted first overall. It was just kind yeah. of about the polish, you know, exactly. And in the, in the, the perceived, the
2: perceived floor, I'll put that way.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Profar and Ackley for me are, kind of fall into the same boat um even though i think profar is actually you know it was i think 2019 he had a pretty good year with um who was he with was he with oakland he was with oakland uh, yeah yeah and then
1: 2020 he went to to san diego yeah we got traded to san diego yeah i actually really like profar uh as a free agent this year for for a club that's looking for i hope he can get regular playing time because i i i will admit i am like the one person that thinks jerks and Profar could have like a good 2021 20, and and change some people's minds because he's gotten some unlucky could, stuff with his batted ball yeah i
0: thought ackley could come back I, I thought ackley could like for like a little while i thought he really could come back and yeah. he didn't you know, he
1: retired ackley's yeah. like rookie season was actually pretty good
0: yeah it, i mean yeah he's one of those guys who like was sort of fully developed by college and then, you know, couldn't really do anything about it versus like a George Springer, for instance, who was like somehow one of those five tool, guy, full tool guys who gets to college, which almost makes no sense.
2: He also started as a second baseman, which I think is kind of a red flag. Yeah. Because we saw, you know, he not, a, not exceptional at making contact with the baseball and playing second base doesn't offer the most value defensively.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so... I, don't know. I I did like what the Rangers did in acquiring the vets that they did. In like well, a couple of years ago they signed Lance Lynn and Mike Minor when nobody else in baseball mm-hmm. or, and then Lynn and Minor for at least one season were near the tops of Baseball Reference's war. And Lynn I think might have been even like tops of Fangraphs war and near the tops of Fangraphs war, which is kind of nuts. But they knew so they I don't know if they knew what to like. What they were going for is like, oh, these are the kind of pitches that we think we can do well. They got a little lucky, or maybe they're pretty good at developing like veteran guys and throwing them out there, like same way like Dave Duncan and the Cardinals did, like maybe ten years ago. Yeah. But whatever it was, it's it's kind of tough because it ha- it makes them win a little more when they maybe shouldn't be winning. And you mentioned that they you're not people aren't sure what they're doing if they're rebuilding or not, and the reason for that is because like. They waited on trading Lance Lynn for a while mm-hmm. and Mike Miner, and they haven't traded Joey Gallo or Elvis Andrews or Shin Chu, whatever value like Andrews or Shin Suchu even have. But there's sort of trying to like be like, OK, we'll just be like this for a few years. And hopefully by the time that our new cash of prospects come up and maybe they were picked like fifth over fifth in their round or fifth overall versus like first overall, that'll still be pretty good
1: yeah i mean they missed out on first overall despite being probably worse than the pirates they were by run differential at least but so they're not going to get kumar they might get you know jack lighter i guess might be projected as the number two his teammate um but um yeah i mean it, they what the rangers are they're um i think they sort of personify this indecisiveness and this is a time where. Just organizations as a whole have to be decisive. You know, if they're gonna if they're gonna do the rebuild, they've got to like really do the rebuild. And if they've got to go for it, they've really got to go for it. That's just kind of you know, with the financial constraints that owners said and how uh, you know budgets can can shrink and grow. The game almost demands that level of decisiveness. And I think what's really interesting about the Rangers is that you know John Daniels has been the GM there forever. He started as like the super young wonder kid. Now he's probably like in his early 40s or something like that he's technically still moving up the ladder and now they've got, you know, Chris Young and his GM. So it's almost like, is this a new regime or is it not? You know, so that's another kind of question
2: for them uh, to address going forward. So I want to know something. I I I really want to know if I was the only one that, you know, every time like Chris Young would come up in the headlines, you know, I, I still wouldn't, you know, fully commit to like, are we talking about the outfielder or the pitcher? Like, it makes more sense to that it's the pitcher. Um, but, you know, I didn't count it out that it was... Chris Young, the outfielder.
0: Was Chris Young like 6'10 or 6'11? Am I thinking of different yes. guys? Yes. Yeah, that's, no, you're no. thinking of
2: the right guy. Yes.
0: So I didn't even realize this. I thought that was sort of a situation where I think like the Knicks hired Mike Miller, but like some random like older bald guy uh, instead of like the shooter Mike Miller, who I think is like a high school basketball coach in Memphis. But I thought that when they said Chris Young, it was like, oh, this up-and-comer Stanford kid or Yale kid. I did not think it was former MLB pitcher and Rangers pitcher and A's pitcher, I think. Six yeah. ten, six eleven, tallest guy in baseball, Chris Young.
1: It's almost it like the, game for the Padres, I think. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like the the two Billy Beans thing, which I think yeah. gets people tripped up as well.
0: Yeah, the extra E. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That that's a that is kind of surprising to me. But yeah, this I think they gotta follow what I I don't know if they gotta follow, but they're sort of like following what the Giants did. I think Yeah, but like I said, the Giants and the Rangers are sort of like inextricably tied together, much unlike the Cardinals, who they played in their other World Series, where they lost a serious heartbreaker with the David Freeze triple and Lance Berkman tripled on the home run. Um, Like the Rangers and the Giants have just like their prospects haven't developed. The Rangers didn't quite have someone like Posey to stick around this entire time. But at the very least, I
1: think Andrews could be the equivalent of that.
0: In a sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Andrews ever MVP level, but he was kind of close. He was an all star. So, yeah. I always I keep expecting Joey Gallo to break through. He never
1: will. Right. I he was like a dark horse MVP candidate after what he did in 2019 and then he was he was not good this year. I
0: absolutely, I absolutely had him as like the kind of guy like maybe he could be MVP because it's a short season, he could get hot and there might be no one hotter in baseball than
2: that guy if he gets hot. I absolutely love those guys that we are all waiting for to break out. Like that time when we are all we're still waiting for Gregory Polanco and Byron Buxton to, you know, become MVPs. <laughs>
0: he had half a season in oakland i think half a season where he was like oh this is chris carter chris carter and jbj (laughs) another
2: another guy's like man he's got he's he's there he's shown flashes there's like the gloves all there you know he's one of he was one of the best hitters for like a month he's got to be good i know it's a shame that that might be where joey gallo went yeah
0: and yeah all right so Bailey, do you have anything to plug? Oh, you plugged obviously your uh, handbook, but how do people get that? How do people follow you?
1: Yeah, so uh, Baseball Prospectus uh, annual is—I uh, know it for a fact it's—it's it's available on Amazon for pre-order. There is—I have to make sure I shout out also. Uh, there's a couple other sites you can get it. You can get from—you can get it from BP directly. You can get it from Bookshop.org. So there's options if you're not an Amazon person. Um, and then, yeah, just just check out my YouTube channel, Foolish Baseball. Follow me on Twitter at FoolishBB. And then I also have a recently launched uh,
2: second channel called Foolish Bailey. So just check those out. Um, I'm going to link all of those in uh, the episode description as well.
0: All right. And that was Bailey Freeman, a.k.a. Foolish Baseball, where you can find him everywhere. Next week, I think we will finally get back to talking some more NBA. We've got a lot of good stuff going on, some teams who are in a definite need of a ranking or something like that. And my uh, studio digs will go up from my basement to actually be in Beckett BU. So that'll be nice.
2: Mine will remain the same as a basement, but you know, it's, it's a high quality basement.
0: Yeah. Yours has a mic. Mine doesn't even have a mic or headphones. So it'll be nice changing that up. But thank you so much bailey for coming on it was really a good one we're very much excited about this mlb season and also excited about uh the hall of fame see who gets in is this the year for Schilling, for clemens for bonds it possibly is it seems like they are the ones who at the very least are having the most votes so far even though nobody's over 75 percent at this point so that remains to be seen and we'll talk to you guys next week